She is the interim president and chief operating officer of the three-time WNBA champion Los Angeles Sparks. We welcome Natalie White onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Natalie? It's great. It's great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. And um, Natalie, the, the, one of the first questions we like to ask all of our guests is, when did you first fall in love with the game of basketball? Like, what was your first memory with the game? What, what really caught your eye? Oh, I thought you was getting ready to say, when did I first fall in love with hip hop? <laughs> <laughs> you can answer that too. I'm a huge fan of hip hop as well. <laughs> um, yeah, it just reminded me of the of the movie. But um, <sighs> yeah, I would say that I um, I started playing basketball when I was five years old. So I guess my first love started at five, but it was when I was in the fifth grade is when I really, really um, truly started thinking about college. I knew I was going to go to college and play basketball. So, so age five, so started very, very young. And what did, what kind of like specific memories do you have of maybe just the, the NBA? Was it um, like college basketball? Was it professional? Any figures that kind of caught your eye, any kind of, uh, I don't know, athletes that you looked up to that you modeled your, your game since you had a pretty successful college career as well? Well, I would say growing up, um, it was more so my family. Um, I okay. come from a very athletic background, um, and I always had my aunt Maxine Cherry, who played basketball in college, and I used to follow her around everywhere, and she actually was my high school basketball coach. But um, basically, she's the one that first put a basketball in my hand, and along with my late um, cousin, Dexter Marshall. So um, it started out very, very, very young. And then as I got acclimated and learning the game, um, because they really wanted to teach me not just about just my skill sets and because that was natural God-given talent, but knowing, actually knowing the game really increased my basketball IQ at a young age. And then as I progressed in, you know, high school and college, you know, and just start watching, I remember, you know, just the 96 Olympic team, um, you know, huge, was a huge Don Staley fan prior to us meeting. Now we're good friends. So, you know, it was just Don Staley was because I am was a point guard. So Don Staley was, was one player that I truly, truly admired. But then it goes back to history, you know, Lynette Woodard, you know, some of the some of the older players that I would see, you know, playing on TV. Um, but really, really, I, I would say um, I just I just love watching basketball. So. Tim Hardaway was one. That's why I chose number 10 to wear in college. I was three in high school. So um, basically, I just love the game. And I watched men's, women's basketball. It didn't matter. Can you kind of talk about that 1996 um, team? I just think they're... I remember watching that team like it was yesterday. And mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of younger fans, it maybe lost the time. But that's a very influential team. And I feel like in my humble opinion, one of the most important just sports teams in general, not just pertaining to basketball. You got put in a context for maybe our younger viewers that maybe, you know, weren't around for the 1996 Olympics. Just how important that women's team was, especially because the Olympics were in Atlanta. Um, it was in the home country, of the United States. And that's how the WNBA really went the precursors to how the league got started. You got put in the context, how important that Olympic team was. Yeah. I would say that those women who were on that team, you know, Lisa, Leslie, Dawn, Stelly, and all of them, they really set the tone and were the pioneers to really putting women's basketball on the map on in that showcase. They were, to me, the original dream team um, because it just provided so many opportunities for young girls to say, hey, wow, I want to play in the Olympics. I want to be like them. Um, they were strong. They were fast. They were beautiful, you know, women, outspoken, you know, not afraid, unapologetically. You know, they just got out there on the court and they were very fierce. 
So it got a lot of people's attention and, and obviously, you know, having it in Atlanta being my home state, you know, it was like, wow, I have these amazing women right in my backyard. Um, so it was amazing to watch. And, and I encourage all of the younger kids to go back, go back and watch that 96 Olympics team. Um, they will really, really see the hard work, the grit, um, the determination and the fight to, to win the gold. Agreed. That that must have been amazing. Just be just you know being so close to that atmosphere, and just like Natalie said, just, just you'll find it. Some, find some games on YouTube. Just go check it out. That'd be very uh, much worth your while. Um, Natalie, I want you to talk about your college career. Um, you were very successful, just in terms of your playing career. Can you kind of just tie how that influenced your um, transition into um, you know what you're doing now with the WNBA? How important that that base was um, not only in terms of your success on the court, but off the court as well into your, you know, transition to management of kind of the, the next generation of this WNBA players. Yeah. I mean, um, un- unbelievable career. Um, very, very fortunate and blessed to attend HBCU, um, Florida and um, I tell you, um, I didn't know until I actually stepped on campus that um, the opportunity to graduate and earn my bachelor's and my master's in sports management from Florida and the university was gonna pay off in this way. Um, I'll be forever indebted to that university. But basically, you know, I mentioned earlier about basketball is my passion and I wanted to, to really find ways to continue to, to be around the game. You know, my idea, the WNBA wasn't around when I, when I graduated, you know, from college, I graduated in 95. And so the WNBA wasn't around. So it was basically all the players going overseas. So the opportunity for me to continue to be around the game um, came with, you know, with sports management. I knew I wanted to be in sports. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, but having the Nike graduate internship really, really helped catapult my career and had me thinking more on the business side in regards to what I wanted to do. And then came here comes the WNBA. And I was saying that was the perfect platform that aligned with my passion for for sports and my passion for inspiring youth. And that's why the WNBA became very important. And I took that leap of faith um, to join then the Atlanta Dream um, Foundation before transitioning on to the Los Angeles Sparks in 2018. But my college career, basically, um, I just love I love to play. Um, One thing about me was academics and basketball. So I had both best of the both worlds. And, you know, when you're playing, you don't think about, you know, you know, setting steals records, you know, breaking these records, doing these things. You just want to play. You just you just want to play. So one thing I enjoyed is playing. And then I was a mentor, mentor in some of the underserved communities in Tallahassee, Florida, um, that I still keep in touch with until today. So my my college career uh, basically just kind of helped shape and mold me as the leader I am today. Uh, because I really had a strong village, Justin, um, to be honest with you. I had a strong village. Um, I really took the opportunity to do informational interviews. Um, I love the background story of individuals. So if somebody, if they're successful now, how did you get to that point? And that's some of the things that I did. Um, the sports information director, you know, at the time there, Michelle Jinx really put us in front of the camera, you know, made us feel comfortable with talking about our dreams and our goal and our aspirations and the things that we want to do and how we are role models and how we inspire, you know, young girls and boys. Um, but sports management was my catapult to um, 
going to the WNBA world, first of all, a 10 year um, career at Nike um, and Nike Incorporated and then going on to the WNBA. And at first, to be honest with you, Justin, um, I thought I wanted to be a GM. So that was my main focus going in as a general manager. Um, but what I was able to do is learn every aspect of the business on the business side and basketball operations. So I got a chance to be VP of basketball operations. And then I was like, hmm, you know, I think I think I really want to stay on the business side. Um, there was a lot of opportunities. Um, I wanted to really, really be a true asset in the community and to um, really encourage corporations, organizations to invest in the W, invest in women's sports. So it, each year, you know, I became more and more motivated um, in that field. Natalie, can you take us back when the pandemic first hit? And from a business perspective, I mean, that must have been a, a thing that's rocked your world in terms of, of what happened just from everything. So how were you able to pivot? Because I felt like, at least from a television standpoint, the pandemic was actually a huge benefit for the WNBA in terms of the wobble, in terms of the attention, and then everything moving forward in terms of just the jersey reveals, just like the schedule being revealed. This something you think yeah. would be really simple. That was just really cool in terms of what happened on Twitter. So can you just kind of take us through when the pandemic yeah. first hit to now in terms of finally getting um, fans into the stands? What was kind of your game plan and, and what has yeah. it felt, you know, finally reaching this point where you can finally kind of get back to normal again? Yeah, you know what, Justin, that's a, that's a great question. I'm going to take you back a little bit in regards to, sure. first of all, in, in the wobble, um, you know, obviously a lot more eyeballs were on the game. People who never watched the game had more opportunities to see these fascinating women play and, and, and lend into the ratings of, you know, up 68% in, in 2020. But prior to um, the bubble, I mean, for the Los Angeles Sparks, I mean, we were coming off of, um, from a business side, one of the one of our one of our most amazing years. Um, from a business perspective, we were we were franchise of the year. We were back to back ticket sales, uh, led the league in ticket sales, um, and then we had the marketing um, number one in marketing. So it was a lot a lot of momentum. Uh, we were truly excited uh, for 2020. Big plans in regards to our fans, um, in regards to just what our team was going to look like on the court. And then in, in social media, the digital um, world just has blossomed, has really, really catapulted. We have fans all over the world. And so then the pandemic hits and we had to pivot. Um, in the bubble, I had one, um, one business uh, side uh, staff in, in the bubble because it was limited to who could go. Um, even though it was very, very challenging um, um, for someone to be there away from their family, away from their friends, and just a whole new environment. Um, it really opened our eyes to a lot of things and opportunities for us to tell more stories about our players, um, the access that we had, the day-to-day, the behind-the-scenes, all of those things that fans love, we were able to capture and, and, and post that on our social media and share those stories. So now from the business side, it's more so, okay, now we have to make sure that we stay engaged with our season ticket holders. And so we, we did watch parties. We, we got a chance to do Zoom meetings with players. Um, we worked with our um, head athletic trainer, Dr. Courtney Watson, in meeting with our season ticket holders to talk about health and wellness. Um, so we did a lot of things to keep them engaged because we knew that, you know, we would, they wouldn't get a chance to see a live game, you know, in 2020. So we started planning in regards to not knowing that the pandemic would last as long, but it was more so about, you know, 
how can we um, successfully acclimate our fans back in back into um, you know live arena? Um, so basically, we just we just had to sit and think about some things, taking some of the things that we did in the bubble, um, continued that from a social media perspective because the access um, to our players is what the fans absolutely love. And then we pretty much started to, you know, kind of look at different tiers in regards to we're going to be 15% capacity, 20% capacity, 50% capacity. And we're still navigating through that right now. Actually, on June 3rd, it will be our first game with actual fans. Oh, wow. So it's going to be an awesome opportunity. So, you know, they are eager. They are anxious. Um, They've been watching on League Pass on, you know, on TV all of you know last year and leading up to to now and we've played we've only played two games uh, but they're excited and we're excited for them as well to to um to get our fans back in and it'll be a, a great boost and motivator for our team as well what aspects of the league do you think has room for growth because i for me personally, from a television perspective, I, I've seen a lot of growth, particularly um, the way ESPN covers the game, where you might see one highlight or even barely that. So now you have Sports Nation, you have even First Take, a lot of those shows covering the WNBA and finally taking the league seriously after all these years. So um, I, I really feel like the wobble was a, was a massive turning point in that. But what are things that you think should, are kind of the next in terms of evolution, in terms of that, in terms of the league, in terms of the fan experience that um, you find that fans may not be getting compared to their NBA counterparts or any other sport. Um, where do you think kind of that room for growth, um, where do you see those areas of improvement you see? You know what? Um, I want to go back to one thing you mentioned, the wobble and, and how, you know, things kind of catapulted from there. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, it starts with the players and, and with the Say Her Name campaign. I think it starts with that and how they've been so outspoken and when we've been so supportive in our players leading the charge with, you know, with um, systemic racism and sexism and, you know, just pay equity, all those things. And I think that it got a lot of people's attention, um, a lot of things people knew and a lot of things they didn't, they didn't know. Um, so this was a great opportunity to get exposure for our players and understanding that they have a voice and, and they are amazing. And they are amazing. They just don't play basketball. Um, they're broadcasters. They're moms. Um, you know, they're in different fields that that people only thought that maybe after they played basketball, you know, what else? What else did they do? Yeah. But I think from a lead perspective, it's all about growth and visibility and how and how it's being marketed. Um, as you saw that um, the WNBA signed a partnership with Google and um, over 100 nationally televised games. Um, so that exposure piece, so it does is so wherever you are, you should be able to catch a WNBA game. And we all know that, you know, the more visibility you get, the more people watch the game, the more interest it gathers. Um, and it's the perfect time for organizations and corporations to invest in women's sports, invest in the WNBA because um from the community aspect and, and the impact that it drives, um, they won't regret it. Um, now, I want to ask you a question I've been seeing floated on social media. And if you tell me this, this is a ridiculous question, please, by all means. But um, okay. I heard a lot of journalists pushing for the expansion of the league just due to uh, lots of talented players and so many limited roster spots. Is that something from a business perspective that would be healthy for the WNBA? Or do you think um, it should be kind of a pause on that, that way of thinking in terms of league expansion? 
I, I think um, I think as the league continues to grow, um, obviously there are teams that started out that they are no longer, uh, but there is enough talent. So we're not short on talent. Um, the 144 women definitely can be increased, but I think the most important thing is having a healthy league, meaning that every individual team is healthy and is on a path to profitability. Um, I think that's what makes the difference because if you have teams that you know, or, or from a fan, from attendance perspective, or from ticket sales perspective, if, if they are, are, are not producing, uh, they're not able to continue to have gains each and um, year over year, um, that affects the bottom line. Um, and we all know that this is a business. Um, so we want to make sure that we, we want to have a long standing lead. So there's a pace to the growth of it. And I think um, the commissioner is doing a great job with um, navigating that space. Um, it's great to know and to see that there's a lot of interest. Um, I can name a few states right now that would really do well with the WNBA team based off of the college basketball attendance. Um, but we want to make sure that we, we move in a, in, a, in a pace that is healthy and that we're not leaving any teams behind. Um, it's a lot of hard work. I tell people um, this is probably the hardest job um, that I ever done in, in my life. Um, compared to being at Nike, um, because it's it's more grassroots, um, it's more grassroots, and and you truly the impact is there. Um, it's rewarding in that perspective, uh, but I think that if more people believe um, in the WNBA, believe in the women on and off the court, and how they can motivate and how they can inspire um, young girls and young boys, um, they will pay more more attention to it. And then they can go out and say and demand it like, hey, you know, we want a team. I want a team in my backyard because, you know, I didn't have a WNBA team to watch growing up. But now these young girls do. And it has made a difference. It has truly made a difference. So I look forward to seeing that growth. Um, I would say definitely my projection within the next three to four years. Wow, that's for certainly fantastic to hear. Uh, my hometown is Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it has a huge women's uh, college basketball presence. Um, so I've always been pushing one day, maybe there should be a WNBA team there. So hopefully that becomes a reality um, someday. But Natalie, one last question for you. Uh, what advice would you give to a young person? I think you kind of mentioned it earlier, but if you could expand on, you know, following your footsteps, you kind of have like a blueprint of how a, a person may want to aspire to be a GM or be in your type of role, really any type of sport. Uh, what kind of advice would you give them? Hey, if they're just in college or even in high school, they, they don't, they don't know where to start um what kind of advice would you give them well i, I would start with the players who who say that they want to be in the wnba um the first thing i encourage them to do is watch the wnba watch the games um i find that there are a lot of young girls who don't watch basketball so i mentioned earlier about um once i identify what it is i wanted to do i research different people within the space where i where i um expired to be where i wanted to be so I would say number one is watch women's basketball. I know you watch the NBA. I know you, you know, uh, may have more catered to, you know, the LeBrons, um, but watch the WNBA, watch the WNBA. And then also in regards to getting into sports management, um, there are a lot of areas that, um, that people don't know about. And that's why we do uh, shadow opportunities um, for young girls and young boys um, through our program uh, for them to learn more about the different careers, um, if whether it's in PR, 
and media, sponsorship, partnership, community relations, marketing, ticket sales. Everybody thinks ticket sales first. Um, and they say, I want to get my feet wet. I want to get in through ticket sales. There's more, there's more opportunities. So the more people learn about, you know, we just don't show up at the arena and put on these games. It's a whole, it's a, it's a whole department in game operations, um, that, that puts on, um, a magnificent show. And I must say a plug us, we got one of the best fan experiences in the WNBA. Um, so yeah, so there, there are different, there are different career opportunities that, young kids they just don't know about and we we make a conscious effort um to share that with them and give them the opportunity to speak with the with the department heads about why they do what they do and what their day-to-day looks like um and then informational interviews um you know a lot of a lot of us um we we welcome we are we are mentors um right now zoom has been i'm used to it now zoom is like my best friend (laughs) stream yard you know yep so do informational interviews. There's nothing to ask um, on, on LinkedIn or, or or email within the organization is, hey, can I have 30 minutes of your time? And be prepared. You know, have those questions, understanding that you may not know exactly what you want to do, but by asking those questions, it could help you make a decision in regards to if you're transitioning from high school to college or from or graduating from college and looking for that career opportunity. So I would say be prepared and, and, and do your homework, you know, truly reach out. Um, I know um, I'm, I make myself available um, and I'm, I try to answer every email, um, every LinkedIn message um, that I can, because I know I was once there and I didn't get to where I am by myself. I had help. I mentioned that village earlier and it takes us to help the other young girls and young boys um, get to where they want to be. Well, Natalie, uh, thank you very much for appearing on the show. Can you please let our listeners um, and our viewers know where they can find you on social media? And then also um, just please uh, plug that date again when fans will be allowed uh, in the stands for the Sparks um, um, home game there. Anything else you want our um, listeners and viewers to know about? Yes, I want everybody to know that um, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary. We're one of three teams in the W. Um, that's been around for 25 years. So it's a lot of exciting things that we have in store. Uh, we have our 25th anniversary commemorative um, box um, that, that we encourage all of our fans to visit our website, lasparks.com, um, and follow us on social media. Um, so if you're a young fan that you're, you're into TikTok or you want to know about um, information in regards to the uh, five pillars, pillars and what we're focusing on, or if your organizational corporation interested in partnering and investing um, with the LA Sparks, um, please, please visit our website, visit our website. And for all the fans that are in LA, if you're visiting this summer, we are back open live with seats available um, for our June 3rd game. More to come on that. We'll be opening up to the public within the next few days. But like I said, make sure you you tune in and, and stay connected with us on LA on sparse.com for more information but we, we're looking forward to welcoming our fans back on june 3rd which also we will be doing a tribute to simone augustus in her retirement and transition to now an assistant coach great well natalie thank you very much for appearing on the show taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us really appreciate it well thank you so much justin for having me this was fun thank you Welcome to another episode of Hoosology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? 
Hey, man, welcome back to the show. How is Colorado treating you? Good. Um, it's surprisingly cool up here. Um, lots of thunderstorms, and I heard on the news that it always rains on Memorial Day, and it snows on Halloween. So, oh, there um, we go. <laughs> that's a that's going to be a interesting change. And also being in a city with a, an NBA team, the Denver Nuggets, and um, the hockey team, Colorado Avalanche, um, both in the playoffs. So, um, the playoff spirit is certainly alive um, in the city. How are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing well. You're going to have to uh, make sure you catch the Nuggets-Bulls games every year yeah. when the Bulls come to town. <laughs> For sure. You'll have that that NBA outlet. It's true. Um, I It seems like the fans are not as fanatical as Broncos fans. So um, if, the, if the 49ers play the Denver Broncos, I'll make sure not to wear any 49ers <laughs> fan gear just to avoid um, any issues regarding that. But it seems like the Nuggets fans are pretty cool. So I don't expect any problems um, with the Nuggets and uh, Chicago Bulls facing off. So looking forward, like you said, to, to checking that out. Nice. Yeah. Plus, I think you can get away with wearing Jordan gear just about anywhere. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you kind of have a, a pass with the, the Bulls gear for Jordan being on that team. <laughs> maybe not in like New York or maybe oh, yeah, not, uh, you know, in, in some of those rival teams, maybe not against the Pacers, but <laughs> everywhere else, I think you're good. That's true. Um, first of all, some housekeeping notes. First, I want to thank you, Matt, uh, for holding down the fort with your playoff preview. Uh, very informative. Uh, listen to the entire thing. Uh, provided some uh, great knowledge and looking forward to talking to you about the playoff series so far. And also wanted to thank our guests. Um, if you listen to the audio portion of this, you just heard her, um, Natalie White, Interim President and Chief Operating Officer of the Los Angeles Sparks, the WNBA. Awesome interview. Provided some um, just great advice in terms of if you wanted just to follow in her footsteps or just great advice in general just in life um it's her story just in terms of her college career and this um her running a WNBA team just really fascinating so um go check that out the audio um that'll be up on youtube it's on facebook instagram um pretty much everywhere along with our podcast outlets and of course a shout out to off the glass um podcast network um they've been putting up a lot of great um playoff um, not only articles but playoff podcasts as well so um you got us along with the rest of the shows on that network on this breaking down the playoffs of multiple NBA teams. So you're, you're going to be covered. You won't miss out on anything. So man, yeah, um, OTG basketball sure. to find That's that right. content. And also just wanted to give you a quick yeah. shout out and give you kudos for that interview, man. Great job with that. Oh, thanks man. Yeah. She was really cool to talk to. I think she was like in a restaurant or um, I couldn't tell. It was like, a, it was a cool setting uh, where she was. Um, so it's definitely um, really uh, informative to talk to her. So that was, that was a fun chat. Definitely. So, so man, um, if you don't mind, um, walk me through the the playoffs here, and I want to kind of just uh, chat with you. I'm just running down the, the series. I think I have to be honest. Typically, in the first round, I'm not really into it. <laughs> that's full mm-hmm. disclosure but mm-hmm. i think this year is the exception i think there's a lot of fascinating stories in every single series and i've been really captivated so i have a lot of thoughts so uh, matt is awesome uh, pick your yeah. poison where you want to start yeah why don't we start in in the eastern conference and and you almost almost uh made me <laughs> I, I don't know jump i guess because i was gonna say man the first round is pretty great this year I, yeah you know compared to other <laughs> years so yeah. if, if you're saying you're checked out already it's no. like oh <laughs> but, but yeah, let's start in the East. Let's start, I guess, with the most maybe simple, maybe bland and 
boringest series and then we'll get more and more entertaining because most of them, I agree, are very entertaining. But let's start with the 76ers and the Washington Wizards, the 1-8 matchup in the East. Uh, This was the only series that I picked as a sweep in the first round. It does seem to be leading that way. I think the Sixers had, especially Ben Simmons, your boy, had a better performance in game two. Do you see... I, anything worth mentioning in this series? I mean, I, I just think the Wizards are uh, criminally undermatched here and, and undermanned against the 76ers. I, I just don't think, you know, the stars that they do have aren't great defenders at this point in their careers, sure. not to put them on blast or anything, but it's a typical 1-8 seed matchup. I don't know. Did you have any other thoughts? Uh, not too much. Um, full disclosure, since we're pretty deep in the playoffs, I'm only going to give like who I'm picking to win this series. I think it, it's kind of unfair just to pick how many games when we're kind of like three games into it. Um, so like, like you, I, I will say you're not wrong in your assessment, Matt, <laughs> um, with Philadelphia. I have the same pick in terms of Philly winning the series. Um, I'll say two things. One, on the basketball front, um, I think this is a good series just for the Wizards in terms of the future. What's going to happen with Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook? Just in terms of you can if you can build something there. I mean, there's been all sorts of rumors about Bradley Beal in terms of like if he's going to stay, is he going to leave? And you know, Westbrook as well. It's, it's just been weird with John Wall leaving. It's just been a thing of what is the identity of this team and for them to be the laughing stock even though of COVID and everything that they were ravaged to get this a spot. I think they should be proud. I mean, I think this is a success, even if Philadelphia beats them by 50 points every single game. So um, the series outcomes, not so important. Um, I'm not going to know that much about Philadelphia um, from this series. Um, I want to comment on the fan situation with Russell Westbrook Mm. and with Trey young too. Now with Trey young and maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't, I saw the video and I couldn't really decipher where he got spit on. If you can, shed some light on that I, I looked at it over and over and i was like where how did he get spit on i don't understand it seemed like um, on his was, back it seemed like okay. it was pretty from pretty far away he didn't react to it so i was wondering yeah. i was like what is happening here um and i read a tweet that was hilarious luckily that fan didn't spit on 50 cent because <laughs> that's a that's a death wish for sure um he, he's <laughs> thankful he had trey young i'll just say that um with westbrook i a couple of things that was totally uncalled for um the the nba um i think they took whatever recourse that they could banning the fan for life um banning to re- revoking their season tickets um i think this is going to be an issue with the next round of negotiations with the players if they want to have courtside fans and i know those seats are expensive that's a huge source of revenue but as we've seen with you know the pandemic we have the video boards and as imagine hey you pay, I don't know, you skyrocket the price your your faces on there. If you can recoup some of that revenue without, you know, Westbrook or any of the fans, um, you know, of, of the players, you know, getting subjected to um, these harsh treatment that, you know, we could see that become a factor. So I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on Russell Westbrook in particular. This was brought up, I think, um, I want to say First Take or Dan Patrick, one of those two. It seems to be a lot of these incidents surround Westbrook, and I yeah. think I think Jalen and Jacoby talked about this. I think um, Jalen said it's just because you know Westbrook is a polarizing player, and it seems seems like he reacts, you know, in a kind of um, I don't know how you say this, uh, highly reactive manner. Um, and I just think if this was like LeBron, I don't I think he would be angry. 
but I don't know if he would have the same reaction as Westbrook. So do you think this is kind of like a lead wide problem or do you think this is kind of isolated to the Westbrook in particular? Mm, well, there's always going to be stupid fans that do stupid things no matter what we do. That's true. Um, you know, the, of course, like the the spitting on Trey Young is awful and yeah. very unaware. I mean, we're we're at a time where things are just opening up with COVID, and you're spitting on players. I mean, come on. Yeah. Uh, not not that that makes it. Not that it isn't bad even without that. But it's it's just kind of like on top of that, it's even more ridiculous. Um, and then the Westbrook thing is terrible too. You know, to to kind of defend Russell Westbrook too. You know, I th- I think we don't hear all the things that the players deal with. Um, there was you probably remember because in in our uh, our legendary group chat uh, we actually posted the gif in there of the the fan giving and it, it was the 76ers fan courtside mm-hmm. gives russell westbrook the double bird i think this was about two or three years ago okay and westbrook makes a very funny kind of joke about it like he dribbles the ball twice and like kind of points his hand oh, at him yeah. like who's yeah. this guy you know, <laughs> and plays it off very very well i mean you could see if he was truly a hothead all the time, I mean, you could see him doing the same gesture back sure. to the guy or worse, you know, getting, you know, putting his hands on him, pushing him back down in his seat or or even worse than that. Thankfully, of course, that that didn't happen. So I don't know. I, I don't think there is enough cases of things like this happening to where the players would have enough leverage to offset the revenue that may be lost. Now, again, you mentioned a creative solution to that. Maybe something like that comes up. Uh, I don't see it as a big enough issue. I know it's getting a lot of run this week in the media, especially since we had, you know, right the same night, the Westbrook thing and the Trey Young thing. I mean, everyone agrees they're horrible incidents. I mean, Westbrook, for goodness sake, he was going into the locker room to check on an injury and yeah. pouring something on him. But yeah. that wasn't, courtside as well that was from the hallway you know so so again that's that's kind of to my point that it's stupid we all hate to see that or us rational people that that aren't acting like that uh which is the vast majority of people i would say um but you know it can happen anywhere in these stadiums so we could also expand that argument to be which this isn't going to happen, obviously, but we could also expand it to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't have fans in person anymore with these games. But oh. that's going to happen, you know, given the, I, I think the ratings bump that you're seeing with these playoffs with more intense basketball, with more actual live noise from the fans and just a better product with fans in the building. I think the reality is is probably going to stick around. But I don't know where where would you agree, disagree? Um, I agree with that. I think from a technical leverage standpoint, you're right. I just think, as Dan Patrick put, you know, these fans are being yelled, you know, unconscionable things, you know, all the time. And this is not only a NBA problem. This is a European soccer problem. This is all other sports. And, you know, I think it goes both ways. I think athletes are too sensitive, a.k.a. Kevin Durant. I think we know where the line is, right? You're the guy's gay. You know, and Westbrook put it perfectly. You want to say his game sucks. He can't dribble. He's got wax shoes. Um, you know, he turns over the ball. You're choke. That's, I think that's fair game. 
Um, you want to say, you know, you can't even lace up Michael Jordan's sneakers, you know, things that pertain to the game of basketball. That's all fair game. But you go after the person's family, race, discount. You, you, I mean, this is this is no kind of a secret here. Um, anything that's derogatory going after somebody's family. Yeah, that's crossing the line. And, and that's inexcusable. I don't know what higher security could do in that situation. Yeah. I've heard like, okay, more security. Where are you going to put more security? How is that? How is that security guard going to stop that fan? I mean, is the security guard going to sit next to people in the stands? I mean, you. I mean, they're not babysitters. I mean, these are grown adults who pay tickets prices. So ultimately, um, I think there has to be harsher punishments for this type of thing. So I think assault charges. Um, something I don't know where you're teaming up with the city in terms of hey, you do this, you're going to jail for a certain amount of time. Where you, there has to be some kind of consequences. Now, let's make it clear. I mean, it shouldn't be anything you know super harsh, but it needs to be something that is, you know, I think a massive punishment. So I think something I don't know. Just thinking about it, like a entertainment ban. So you know, you do this for the Seventy Sixers, you can't go to any professional sporting event. You know, within that state, something like that. You can't go to any arena if you do that. That's, that's, that's a pretty egregious thing to do that to somebody. I mean, you're crossing the field of play. You're crossing that boundary. And, you know, just to bring up a, another thing, and I know uh, some people may not be cool with this, but, you know, I'm a pro wrestling fan. I've seen this from time to time where you see fans jump the railing and interfere mm. with the wrestlers inside the ring. And that's super dangerous. <laughs> and I've seen wrestlers beat the crap out of fans, um, you know, and the refs too, like just mm-hmm. openly. So I, that's where I'm kind of sensitive to this type of thing because I've seen fans, you know, do this in, in the pro wrestling venue and they've gotten hurt because they thought, you know, it was a cool thing to interact with these guys. So overall, I think probably a harsher punishment to where, hey, they're making an example of. And I think, a, you know, an entertainment ban, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Hey, you you want to jump the, uh, you, you know, you want to throw popcorn on Russell Westbrook during the 76 as well. You're not going to an Eagles game. You're not going to a Flyers game, any kind of professional sport. You, you in, that, in, that, in that state, you can't go. It's like, you know, that flyer, you know, you see at a, convenience store or you see at a uh, movie theater where hey this person's not welcome here because of this i think something like that i think that's fair um yeah but other than that i don't really know what other action you can do yeah i mean i definitely think you know like in the case of throwing objects and and things like that you can get criminal charges for that yes, absolutely you, got that's assault video yeah, evidence right. so it's yeah, it's not right. like you have special immunity being in an arena oh, or anything not at all. So, not. so that's definitely a, a possibility right now it's, sure. it's on the table i i think the idea of the the ban the entertainment ban is interesting i think you know definitely for the venue that they're in and forgive me i don't know the sixers arena name off the top of my head but uh you know you could certainly that arena the incident happening there you know they could ban them from all events in that arena and i think that has happened in the past in in certain situations um i know that they the the good news about both of these incidents with trey young and russell westbrook is there was swift harsh action in my opinion we we can always you know debate like how how far they should go with that um and take it further but i i do think they're sending a clear message that hey this is this is not tolerated at all so so i would say good on the nba for that if they wanted to expand that and like all teams join together to say like hey you're not coming to see road games either you know or stadiums that um host the nba teams things like that you know i i think that's 
on the table and and maybe we would see something like that but but yeah i i think you just have to be swift and clear in these incidents i mean it's it's not possible to bubble wrap the entire world even from egregious ridiculous things like this unfortunately always going to happen with the live experience um but i i think this swift clear message is a good thing that hopefully we have less of this agreed um did you have anything more on that no we can move on okay um let's look at in my opinion the next series that looked interesting but really hasn't been and it's understandable i think i think everyone kind of knows what's going on here and i'm referring to the brooklyn nets versus the boston celtics in that two seven matchup in the east there uh i picked this one i believe yes brooklyn in five and you know this was one where i could have seen maybe the celtics take it to six especially if they had had Jalen Brown obviously he was out for the year before this series even began unfortunately so we're not at the Celtics are not at full strength they hardly have been for the entire year I don't have too much on this series simply because I don't think given the Celtics were the team that were most affected by COVID uh, of all the teams in the NBA actually some of our compadres over on OTG uh, have had stats that they've posted. Uh, guys at uh, Celtics Lab, for example, you can check them out if you want more Celtics info. They've had stats, you know, showing how the Celtics have been greatly impacted by COVID. Um, so I don't think there's too much to say. I don't put the blame of this series on Brad Stevens or this season even. I'm biased. I like Brad Stevens. I don't think he forgot how to coach. I think there are circumstances bigger than him in this team at play here. Uh, do you have major concerns for Boston moving forward, or do you have thoughts on this series outside of what I said? Um, no thoughts on a series. I agree with you. Brooklyn still handled the Celtics pretty easily. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I don't want to sound like Stephen A. Smith, but I just can't help it when we see situations like a Memphis or situations like a Golden State where you see a team perform and then the coach is gone. And with Brad Stevens, it's kind of like he's given a pass, even though the Celtics underperformed. I don't think he's to lose his job. I think next season, the Celtics need to perform within, I would say one to the fourth seed. I think Um, that's fair. Yeah. I basically means they have to finish better than, you know, the heat. Um, something, something like that. They can't, they can't be at the bottom. I think, like you said, Matt, you're right in terms of COVID, in terms of you know Jalen Brown um, getting injured. Um, it, it's it's a situation in which you can kind of see the circumstances and kind of give Boston a pass this season. However, we've seen this team with Kyrie, without Kyrie, with Kemba Walker, without Kemba Walker. With um, what's his name, Gordon Haywood, without him, when is this team going to take the next step? They got enough talent. It's clear that Tatum and Brown are, I think, superstar players in this league. It's I think it's fairly obvious to me, along with Kimber Walker. And it's just mind-boggling to me. You have those three players, and it just seems like they can't just find that chemistry. I'm wondering, you know, like you said, our colleagues at Celtics Lab and um, even our Boston Celtics guests we had on, I'm for, I forgot his name, but um, Adam you know, Taylor. There you go. Just yeah. if they can just put their minds together and just 
figure out like why what's happening with the chemistry of this team because clearly with Brooklyn, they, I mean, they haven't played together that much either. But when they're on the court, they're dominant. And oh, yeah. I, I don't think that Kimber Walker, Tatum, and Brown they're that far off from Brooklyn. It's not. I mean, I would say, of course, Brooklyn is the better. You know, has to you know in terms of their talent, but I wouldn't say Boston is that far behind. And for them to be that inferior, I, I think it's it's it's, it's head scratching. So I think I'm going to reserve reserve judgment until after the series is over, and then we'll see what happens. If they get swept, then you know my mind may change. Just being not blatantly honest with you, but for now they win a game, they show some fight. Let's see what happens next season. Yeah, yeah, and I I like my pick of Brooklyn in five. I I just really it's hard. This may even be a sweep, to be honest. At this sure. point, I, I'm just not seeing much from the Celtics. But uh, yeah, let's move on. This one, you know, I I think when I recorded this weekend, I would have said this might be my most interesting series. It's kind of taken a step back now because of Milwaukee's dominance. So I'm I'm talking about the three six series, Milwaukee sure. versus Miami, of course. Rematch of last year. Everyone kind of looking forward to this coming back in. We've gotten some good games. We especially that first game that went to overtime. Um, I picked Milwaukee in six. I'm loving that pick, certainly for Milwaukee. Sure. Uh right now, as we speak, the game isn't finished, but Milwaukee, last I checked, had a commanding lead over the Heat. So it does look like Milwaukee's gonna go up 3-0. Mm-hmm. Look, this Heat team just isn't the same as last year. Uh, Tyler heroes had somewhat of a sophomore slump and it, it just seems like there, I don't know, there, there may be not as much motivation for Miami this year. Plus they've dealt with injuries plus yeah, for part of the season, they were struggling with COVID stuff and they got hot at the end of the year. So it's kind of like you're expecting this momentum to carry into the playoffs and it, it just hasn't. Also, I think credit to the Bucks, their roster is better. But yeah, I agree. Please, Justin, your thoughts. Um, I feel you. Um, a couple of things. One, this has been an insane season for Tyler Hero. He's been taking a lot of heat on Twitter. Um, it, it seems like the success has gotten to his head. And um, again, we have, I forget, I think it, um, there's a Heat podcast um, on, on the OTG network as well. I love to talk to those guys about Tyler Hero. Um, and it kind of started, this is going to sound weird, but I saw a video of Tyler hero on GQ and they have athletes on there and they, they basically, what they do is they count their first million dollars. So they give him a stack of million dollars, literally on the table. And he basically breaks down what he does with a million dollars through his rookie contract. And you can just see, I don't know. It's I'm going to sound like I'm judging him. But talking to him, I'm, it, I was like, okay, one or two things are going to happen. A, this guy's going to be a superstar. Like, I love the guy's swagger. At the same time, if he falls off, if he's not working as hard, this could come back to haunt him. And I think that's what's happening here. So we'll see. I think let's. I, I don't want to be too hard on Tyler Hero. Like you said, you know, people can grow in the offseason. You can grind. I mean, he's, he's with Jimmy Butler. I mean, if there's one guy to really change his ways, it's Jimmy Butler. Um, and speaking of him, and, and Stephen A. was on his case, and I agree with him, the first two games he played poorly. Um, and that, that, you, that can't happen. He needs to be um, the scoring force. And I disagree with him because I think he was talking about Jimmy Butler in more of a leadership position, but he needs to score. I mean, they, 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 they're playing against the Bucks, who are one of the most elite teams in the East. I mean, he can't just be a good leader. He has to score the basketball. He's playing better now. I think he has 19 points as we're talking about the, this. Um, I think it's game three here. So 
but they're getting killed. I mean, like you said, Matt, they're losing by 26 points. Um, so the, I think they're, I think they're toast. Surprisingly, um, Bam has been a letdown yeah. in this game three Agreed. from what I've seen. And yeah. it's just, it's weird. It's, it's like catching different players at different times. They just For can't sure. all click. Yeah. I, I feel you. One more thing. Um, Giannis, I, I think there was a game, I think it's with him. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was game one where he did not play well either. Um, so that was a little bit unusual as well. They won the game, but I know his performance was not up to um, his standards as well. So I think as we get into deeper into playoffs, when there's Brooklyn, <clears throat> um, when there's um, Philadelphia, there's those teams, whoever they run into, you know, Giannis, if he has a subpar game, I think the Heat's going to be, no pun intended, is going to be on him as well. So those are my thoughts as well. But I think the Bucks, I wouldn't surprise me if they sweep. I think it's a wrap. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, let's move on to now what I think is hands down the most interesting matchup in the East right now in this first round. That's the Knicks versus the Hawks. Uh, we talked about Trey Young and that incident earlier, so we don't need to cover that. But no. um, the this series is tied. And uh, this is a series where I feel like going into this, I didn't know who to pick and, and I didn't. So my rationale was I love the team defense that the Knicks are playing. I think the fans are going to feed off of that energy. The Knicks are going to have a nice home court advantage for this. Um, And we saw some of that in game two when the Knicks were able to come back and how electric Madison Square Garden was. So I ultimately picked the Knicks in seven. Maybe I pushed it out to seven because of some of my uncertainty here. It wouldn't shock me at all if Atlanta took this series in six games as well, just because I do think they are more talented and deeper than the Knicks overall. But what have you seen so far? What do you like so far? What's your feeling on this series so far? Yeah, a couple of things. And this is why I am a proponent of the playoffs meeting more than a regular season. I know that might seem like, okay, that's obvious, but a lot of people are like, okay, they're the regular season. We should take the awards and the accomplishments into account. It's about the playoffs. It's different. And we saw that with Julius Randle and his performance so far. We've seen it with Trey Young. And it's different when it's playoff time. And especially with those New York Knicks fans. I saw a video. Um, I don't know if you did a notorious YouTube channel that covers the New York Knicks. They're very uh, New York pro New York Knicks. And they had all the fans that are outside the arena. They are hungry, just starving, just waiting for the Knicks to be good. And it's just so much pressure that can Julius Randle handle it? I mean, he won, I believe, most improved player. A lot of good things happened this year. The fans are back. And when the lights are on bright, when that mass square garden is packed, I mean, can he handle it? And then reverse when he goes to Atlanta, you know, you know, Atlanta has home court now. It's just tied one, one. So, I think we've seen that with Trey Young where, you know, he's hungry for it. And it's just, it's different. It's just, that's why to me with the regular season, it's kind of like, well, all right, you did, that's all well and good. But when it counts the most, I mean, championships do matter. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of getting into this. I mean, the individual accomplishments in the regular season, I mean, that's, that's something to take hold and that's something not to ignore at the same time. What's more valuable is what you do in the playoffs compared to, you know, the regular season. That's why to me not to spin off a whole different discussion, but I think Robert Ori is a hall of famer easily because 
he, I mean, not just because of the rings, but he played an influential role in every one of those those uh, championship rings, even though his stats may not um, represent that in terms of. Yeah, I think I don't think he scored ten thousand points, but clearly he had enough shots. <laughs> he was there. The playoffs matter, and I think in this series, I'm curious to see what we what is Julius Randle? It, can he be a centerpiece for this team? Or is this kind of a band of misfit toys and they're going to break up in two years? So um, we, we'll see what happens. I like the Knicks in this series, but I'm not confident in that pick at all. I think it goes seven, um, but we'll see. Yeah, you know, great points. Um, I, I do wonder, you know, with your point about the regular season and the playoffs there, you know, the Knicks may be a tough team to run into in the regular season with the energy that they played. I think sure. just – thanks to how Tom Thibodeau coaches his teams and how rugged they are, how battle-tested they are. And you have a lot of like former Bulls, as you know, on that team yeah. that, that know how to grind and know his system and can advocate for him. Mm-hmm. I do wonder, though, if they're easier to manage when you know you're going to see them, you know, you have to beat them four of seven times. Like you can game plan for that sure. team every night. Yeah. And it's the perfect testing ground to answer that question that you just asked about is Julius Randle going to elevate his game even more, whether it's this year or next year, if they're in the playoffs again, or is, you know, is he going to be kind of a, a big stats on a less successful team kind of guy. Uh, so hopefully we get some answers to that, but you know, to, to another point, just real quick about the Knicks and then let's move on to the West coast. Sure. Um, the, the funny thing to me, like, I, I guess, uh, it was 2013 was the mellow led Knicks. Like the mm-hmm. last time they had any success in the playoffs and you're right about the Knicks fans being so hungry being so into it, but in a way, doesn't it feel a little bit to you? Like they're also happy to be there. Like, like, just yeah. Oh yeah. Like, it's kind of like, yes. it's not going to be in spite of how diehard the Knicks fans are and how smart I think a lot of their fans are. It's not going to be the biggest letdown if they go down to the five seed in this series. Yeah, you're right. Because I think it was, um, Dan Patrick show again, Mike Breen, um, announcer for MSG Network and ABC. He was at game one, and um, after the um, Star Spangled Banner, um, where the broadcast booth is located, they're in the stands with the fans. They're not courtside. So he was saying there was multiple people crying, just crying because they're back at Madison Square Garden. They're crying because they're back. And it, totally, it's a thing where – they're happy to be there, and I think this it's just kind of a homecoming. So you're right. If they get bounced in this series, I think they'll be all right with it. And then things will get back to normal, and then they'll be trashing Julius Randle, saying he's he's trash, get him out of here, um, along with Derrick Rose and Tosh Gibson, and they, <laughs> if they can't produce. So um, I think the good feelings are happening now, but um, that can turn fairly quickly, <laughs> depending yeah. on their performance. I would agree. Yeah, I just think you're going to have like kind of a – a honeymoon phase with this team, even if they yeah. go out in the first round, they're still going to be on board at the start of the next year. Sure. But, but yeah, yeah, I think another first round exit next year would be bad news for mm-hmm. everyone involved. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's go to the West. We have, gosh, I guess I'll start with the least competitive series here. Who would have thought <laughs> you and I talked about this last year uh, during the bubble, after the bubble start of this season, we have been pretty consistent that we are not buying the Clippers. No way. Who are the four seed. 
and they are down right now, two games to zero to the Dallas Mavericks, the Luka Doncic Mavericks. Um, I I picked the Clippers in six, and I I think my pick is wrong at this point because you have the next two games are in Dallas. And Dallas is already up. If Dallas gets one of those games, it's, it's going to be hard to imagine Luca not being able to go off for at least one of those three remaining games. Um, how do you see the series playing out? And what do you see as the future implications for both the Clippers and for Luca's kind of rising star in this league? It's been a very interesting season for Luca because I think he was hurt for a certain part of the season, right? So he got um, off to a really slow start. Okay, was he? He was not. So he wasn't injured. He got to a more of a slow start. Okay, I, I don't know if there was. There may have been injury involved. Okay, there may have been some COVID things involved. It may have also been he had to play his way back in shape a little bit at the start of the year. I'm, gotcha. I'm not quite sure. Okay, but ne- nevertheless, it's been a drop off compared to him in the bubble, um, and I think. With this upset, it will bring him back to the national spotlight because he is top three, one of the best players in this league. And he's um, twenty-two. Yeah, he's twenty-two. My yeah. goodness. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think he's appreciated in terms of his skill at all. Um, excuse me. I. It's funny. I picked the Clippers too. I'm not feeling happy about that pick. Um, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he's averaging thirty-three points a game, but most likely he's going to take some heat for losing the series and Paul George. I mean, it's just, what do we, what, do, what can we say? I mean, it, it just, it is what it is with this guy in terms of his playoff performance. So to me, I think with this Clippers teams, it, it's a massive disappointment. And I think they have some restructuring to do. Clearly this is not working. Um, what I'm interested in seeing also is like with Porzingis on the court, what can this team do? I mean, Porzingis is kind of the key. Clearly, when he's out, they're, they're a different team. I mean, he has to be in there for the Dallas to have any semblance of making any kind of a playoff run. Um, and that's what happened last year. Yeah. yeah. He was hurt. Yeah. Exactly right. So, to me, if he, he stays healthy, I like Dallas's chances in this series. But, you know, he's made out of glass. So, you cough on him. You know, the Clippers can just run the gambit and come back and win this series. That's based on his injury. Um, and that, that's what concerns me. And I love Porzingis. I've been, I'm on the Porzingis bandwagon. I think when he's healthy, he's a fantastic player. But he's, he's too injury prone. Um, he, that, he's not an elite player in this league just due to how often he gets hurt, unfortunately. Um, so I think, I think we're, I echo the same sentiments you have, Matt. I'm not feeling comfortable with the Clippers pick at all. It's funny because, you know, we, we talked about this. I don't, I don't think it was on the pod. Maybe it was just a conversation you and I were having. But mm-hmm. Porzingis and Luca have been, even Mark Cuban said in an interview, they, they've really been having chemistry issues. Mm-hmm. And that pales in, to compa- in comparison to the chemistry issues <laughs> going right. on on this Clippers team. It's true. And, and it seems like Bill Simmons made the comment, you know, he has this whole like, body language doctor segment that he does or whatever, where he he tries to get a feel for how the players feel for each other and just about things in general. And his comment on Rondo is that he's, he's not really playoff Rondo. He he's not feeling this team. I I don't know whether that's true or not. Of course. Uh, It's not like Rondo has given us any, any sound bites on that, but uh, I I think Kawhi's gone. I've, 
I think if they don't win their very next game, I mean, if, if they go down three games to none, that's a wrap for this series. Um, I, I think Kawhi has an option to get out. And unless he just really badly wants to be in LA, I, I think he's gone. And you've, you've pretty much got, you know, four years of Paul George left. You gave a ton of your draft picks away to OKC to get Paul George to get there friend of the show Josh was texting in our in our group friend chat that uh, you know just the pathetic amount of picks that the Clippers have moving forward so I think it's going to be a return to mediocrity for the Clippers long term if if some things don't change yeah. big time in the near future yeah I feel you um, and one other thing and we can move on if you want Matt there's just the whole thing about like Kawhi Leonard and him being the best player in the league better than LeBron. I mean, come on. I mean, 2019. We were on. saying that not, not right. you and me, but come the on. media was running with that. What disrespect of LeBron James. And it, it irritates me because of the, it, it kind of gets to the whole thing of, okay, if you don't think he's better than Jordan, then he's just trash. Like LeBron is one of the greatest athletes in the history of this country, history of the planet earth. Okay? Oh yeah. Oh, yes. I, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you, you see how much impact he has on a team being alone. <laughs> and especially that, that, that warrior series comes comes to mind where he's totally outgunned and he almost pulls it off himself. So to me, it's just like, I don't want to hear any comparisons between him and Kawhi Leonard again. I like Kawhi Leonard. I think he's a great player in this league, but he's not on LeBron James's level, not even close. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think he is, especially if, if this series goes down the way it's likely to, Yeah, I think you have to put him on a tier below. I mean, certainly still one of the most dominant players in this league when he's healthy, mm, sure. but yeah, I mean, he's, he's pretty much unraveling the narrative that he built for himself with that Raptors oh, run. That's true. Um, let's look at next the series that, I think I'm most confused by, and I, I don't know what to tell you about. <laughs> um, and that's the Nuggets, your uh, your hometown, Denver Nuggets. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, versus the Portland Trailblazers. This is, of course, the 3-6 matchup in the West. I picked Denver in six. I can't really tell you why. Uh, I could mm-hmm. listen back to myself rambling about it. But, no, I, I think, you know, I've never been a fan of Portland's defense. I have. I, of course, am a fan of Damian Lillard, but I I still don't buy into the structure of that team and that they can make a deep playoff run. You could tell me that Portland is going to win this game in si- or this series in six games. I would have no problem with that because Damian Lillard could just be outstanding and do that. You could tell me Denver wins this game in six like I picked, and I would obviously agree with that. Um, what are your thoughts? Do you have a feel for this series or any other insights you can bring to my confusion? Um, I'm less confused about this series. And I think Denver's just a more stable team, but I, I think they're right for the upset. And if they keep, it's, it's one of those things where now I think the series, it's kind of gone the way I expected. I, I like your six games pick for Denver. I think in a game seven, that's where things get dangerous. I like the Joker. He's always consistent. I love his game. I think he's going to prove to be the difference in this series. And I think with, you know, we've seen with some, from, excuse me, CJ McCollum and even Carmelo are kind of inconsistent. You can't really rely on that. And um, I just, 
I think Portland has a lot of flaws in, in their game as well, um, especially on the defensive end. So I get it. I like Damian Lillard. This is a sexy pick to pull the pick the upset. I can't do it. Um, I, I just I, I can't just based on what's going on in game three. I mean, it's, it's happening, I believe, you know, about almost less than an hour from now when we're recording this podcast. Um, and I think in Portland, um, I think it's going to be the, the fan dynamic is going to be very interesting because I don't know <clears throat> excuse me, what the capacity limit is in Portland. But I knew, do know here in Denver that they up the capacity to 15,000 fans. So next time they play um, in Denver, um, well, I guess they, I take that back. Um, well, no, I take, sorry, they're, they're in Portland now. But I guess I guess it would be game five that they're going to be in Denver. Um, basically, they'll be at almost full capacity. But that's going to be a game changer. And, and they're already kind of affecting the game in game one. They're bullying Carmelo. And that seemed to kind of motivate him. This due to all the bad blood that he, you know, that all that passed. So mm-hmm. to me, I, I'm less confused. I just can't do it with Portland. I wish. I really, I really wish. <laughs> but yeah, no. I, I think Denver's gonna gonna pull it out. I think that's well said. Uh, like you alluded to, though, I'm gonna be very nervous if it goes to seven. Me too. Damian Lillard does have that history as a cold blooded killer when it comes to game sevens and game winning shots and clutch moments like that. You know, like yeah. ending Paul George's Oklahoma City career. Um, you know, you can you can see the list. He knocked out my Houston Rockets on a buzzer mm-hmm. beater one year when Dwight Howard was actually playing pretty well in the playoffs during mm-hmm. his time in the Rockets. So the history is there. But yeah, I'm with you. I, I think Denver has the balance and stability uh, to pull this off. Um, so let's move on to I guess we'll save the Lakers for last. Let's move on to a series that has been surprisingly more entertaining than uh, maybe initially was thought, and that's the Utah Jazz, the one seed versus the eight seed Memphis Grizzlies. Story here has basically been John Morant shocked us all in game one. It happened basically while I was recording uh, that last episode. I, I did um, have an eye on that. I, I knew it was coming. Um, and I had already picked earlier in the week that regardless of whether it was going to be Golden State or Memphis, I thought the Jazz would win that series in five just because the West is a little deeper. Wouldn't surprise me if the one seed gets shocked for a game. So, you know, it, the Grizzlies getting that win uh, was definitely something and spoke to that team, I think, being better than I thought they were overall because there have also been good performances from Dylan Brooks and, and other sure. members of that Grizzlies team. But I still think with Donovan Mitchell returning in game two, the Jazz just have too many weapons, too much firepower, too much depth for the Grizzlies to be able to handle. I don't have much else to say about it other than that. I love that John Morant had like 47 points in game two and that he's he's been amazing in the playoffs. It's been cool to see his, his name brought up on the national stage. But um, what else did you have on this series? Um, my thoughts are is that I feel sorry for Memphis that John Morant's going to leave your team someday. <laughs> oh, man. I'm oh. uh, sorry to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you know you know the inedible is going to happen. Uh, you know, know. It, you know, know the ending to the story. I just, just don't want to believe his, it. <laughs> and that kind of goes for Donovan Mitchell, too. I mean, to be perfectly honest, if Utah can't get it, can't you know get it done, they've they've been the one seed a few times. They've been the top of the Western Conference. What is the fate of this team? What are, what happens with the Utah Jazz? The, it's weird because they're the number one seed. No one gives a crap. 
No mm-hmm. one cares. <laughs> that including myself. Including yeah. myself. No one cares. So I think Utah wins this series. Game one, um, despite you know the heroics from you know John Morant, I think you know Donovan Mitchell's back now. It's very clear. And you're right. The, the weapons. I think Utah um, wins this series. But I think with Memphis, they have a very promising future if they can find a way to build around John Morant. And that's a tie limit. They got to figure it out, or else he's gone. It's plain and simple. And I think with Utah, it's a thing with like Rudy Gobert. What is he? He, he just has to be a, a larger scoring option, um, especially facing the elite teams in in the West. So. We'll see what happens. Not not much to say about this, um, other than I've enjoyed John Morant, John Morant's game. I enjoyed him. Um, I know I didn't, didn't get to talk about it, but you know them against Golden State, I enjoyed that as well. So, excuse me, but I, I expect yeah Utah to basically handle them. Um, if it goes six, it wouldn't really surprise me. Um, but it, I think you know with Donovan Mitchell back, clearly he has a Damian Lillard esque um, hunger towards him that he 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 wants this very badly. And I, I don't I don't think the, the Utah Jazz are primed for the upset here. Yeah, well said. I don't have anything else to add. You ready to move on to yeah. the West favored Lakers, one of the maybe the first seven seed to ever be favored by Vegas on this series opening against the two seed Phoenix mm-hmm. Suns. Uh this series is tied one game to one. Uh, just quick summary, Chris Paul was injured, shoulder contusion in game one. Um, he had to leave, I, I believe, in the second half of game two because that shoulder was still bothering him. Um, he is questionable for tonight. I believe he's going to play Okay. Um, from from last I heard. That, that game is going on tonight, I think. Um, and... So basically, it seems like it's another series that hinges on Chris Paul's health. Unfortunately, this has been a common occurrence in, in a legendary career overall in the playoffs. You know, the infamous hamstring injury when he was on the Rockets, when mm-hmm. it was looking like they really could challenge those Warriors, uh, that Warriors dynasty. Looks like an injury might play into this series too. And I think that's kind of my take moving forward. I, I do think Phoenix has more of a shot than I gave them credit for initially. Uh, but it seems like if if Chris Paul isn't 100%, I don't know if they're going to have enough to beat the Lakers. And with each game that goes on, the Lakers are building more rhythm with each other, with LeBron getting to spend more time with AD on the court. Um, so... I don't know. I picked the Lakers in six. I like that pick. Um, I think that pick is still going to hold. You know, if, if I had gun to my head and had to tell you exactly what it's going to be, I do see it playing out that way. I think the Suns have earned a lot of respect f- from me personally, though, in that I do think they can contend a little better than I gave them credit for going into this series. Um, how do you think this is going to play out? And do you, th- how, how much of a puncher's chance do you give the Suns? Uh, without Chris Paul, none. However, <clears throat> that first game where I saw Anthony Davis, he only went to the line five times. That's a disgrace. I mean, yeah. as well, Charles Barkley said, like, you know, what are you doing taking jump shots? And also it always 
pops into my mind with Kevin Garnett. I, I don't really like Kevin Garnett as like a human being, but as a player, he's absolutely right. When you're a big man. I mean, I'm going to curse here. You, <laughs> it's going to sound like a rap video, but you, you back that ass up in the lane. <laughs> well, that's what you do. You get in the lane, you get fouled. I mean, he's too talented. He's That's too talented. One though, man. <laughs> I, he, he's got he's Joel Embiid shooting threes. That's <laughs> yeah, true, but he also gets in there as well. No, I, I'm there. with you. Yeah, yeah, like you could do both. I have no problem with shooting threes. You can do both. Do both. Mm-hmm. So I that hopefully has an admiration. We'll see if that's hey he just had a bad game. Whatever, who cares? But. I don't want to see that again. <laughs> that yeah. that's a terrible performance. And it's one thing. Let's say you know everybody has a bad night in the paint. Let's just say he's not missing layups. Something's wrong with them. Whatever. At least the shot attempts were. It's kind of like a jump shooter where Steph Curry sometimes he's going to go two for like twenty two. Right. It's just the nature of the beach. There's no problem with he's being aggressive. And you know eventually those shots will fall. But you see a guy not being aggressive, it means he doesn't care. Something's up. So that's a concern. Moving towards the later playoffs for the lakers i have to you're right with the lakers and six i feel you and i think the thing with this sun's team um with aiden and booker what what is the deal with these teams that's the thing i'm looking at is what is the future of these teams can can are they i don't that my confusion comes into the the elite of the western conference it really even in in the east too like who are the really true players in this league because really all I see, I think <laughs> they're on teams that are that can't win the title. So like Damian Lillard, like I think he is a true playoff performer. The Portland Trailblazers can't win the NBA championship. Um, and I think looking at it like a Giannis, that's a question mark. But looking at a Jimmy Butler, I think he's a he's a championship type player. The Heat are not going to win the title. And so you take a look at these players, I'm like, okay, there's Kawhi Leonard, kind of. There's LeBron, um, of course, Kevin Durant. Um, when the Warriors are healthy, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. But a lot of these other players, we have a lot of new blood in this league. And it's just hard for me to get a read on, okay, like, what can these players really do? Because it's great. It, to me, it's, it kinda, I'm a little bit desensitized to the regular season because I'm like, okay, that's great. You have this great scoring run, whatever. But in these series, this like seeing these kind of elite players get bounced early on in the playoffs every single year. Like, what is what's happening here? And I think with Chris Paul, um, to your point, is it going to stick with him? Like, it might with James Harden. Let's let's, let's say they it's Brooklyn doesn't win the title here. I mean, that's going to really stick to James Harden, not only with Brooklyn but with the Rockets and with Oklahoma City. And I think with Chris Paul, you you mentioned the um, hamstring, but I want to ask you, Matt, before we bounce. I mean, let's say, you know, the Suns, you know, they lose this series, and let's say Chris Paul has two more years and he doesn't even go to the NBA Finals. Do you think that he has a rep, that that's a reputation that he's you know can't get it done in the playoffs? He, his body breaks down. Is that going to be a thing where he's kind of like has a loser? Um, I know it's ridiculous because Chris Paul's not a loser, but at the same time, it's it's no secret his success in the playoffs are not that good, especially when it counts the most. So I think, what do you make of his legacy considering, you know, he's the difference maker to the Suns. I mean, the Suns are not the two seed if it was not for him. Yeah, I I think what has happened since the 90s is the media – is a little bit more sensitive to the players' feelings, the players' legacies. At least this is my perception. 
So I don't think you're going to have Chris Paul getting ridiculed like a Charles Barkley in the same way. Um, because, you know, you could, you could argue in a lot of ways, Charles Barkley's impact on his teams. I mean, I have, I wouldn't characterize Charles Barkley as like a choke artist, even though he didn't get a title, you know? So I think there's maybe a more nuanced understanding of careers and career success. Not on Twitter. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, (laughs) let's see if you have a profile picture though. (laughs) uh, That's true. (laughs) <laughs> no, but uh, but I, I do think it's going to be something that among like that fraternity of players, it's going to be something that when they're on the banana boat, what yeah. have you, you know, he's he's going to get ripped on for not having a title. And it's it's going to be, I think, more in a sense of just, you know, boys having fun or whatever, that sure. that kind of thing. So I don't think he's going to get the knock on him that Barkley gets, I don't think he's going to have like a shack sitting across from him. If, if he were on TNT, like always jabbing at him for not winning a chip. Um, I, I just think times are a little different, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I I'm sure, you know, there'll at least be one person in the media who does it. No doubt. I just don't think it's going to be the narrative that sticks to him. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I don't think so either, but it's just so it's just a worry the times we live in, you know, and it's just kind of like a pattern that has occurred. So we'll see. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's he's a he's a legend in this game. But, you know, it's just an unfortunate way for the Suns to end this improbable season. Um, if in fact he is injured. I mean, anything else you want to add to the series, man? Yeah, I've I wanted to get your thoughts real quick. I, I don't have anything else for this series. I, I thought your points about Anthony Davis and using that KG quote that was on point. Um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts just quickly on just a prediction right now, since we're super early into this. I yeah. picked, I penciled in Nets versus Lakers. I, I do think that is the finals that we're going to get. I'm feeling kind of encouraged by what I'm seeing from Milwaukee in this first round that they seem hungry, but I still, I, I'm not flip-flopping on my picks or anything like that. Uh, I have Nets Lakers in the finals. Do you see any other combo of teams making it to the finals? And then I'll also ask you after that. So what do you think is going to happen? And then what are you personally rooting for? Just out of curiosity. Um, so I agree with your pick. If Jamal Murray was active, I'd be apt to pick Denver versus Brooklyn. Ooh, like I can't, year. but I can't do it. it it's just, I, I just think it may be boring. The Lakers are the most complete team in the playoffs. They have the most experience. I just, the other teams are too flawed. I think the Lakers, they're going to pretty much breeze into it. I think Brooklyn, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see how they do against Milwaukee and how they possibly do against, you know, um, Philadelphia. I mean, that's a tougher matchup. And you take a look at the Lakers and now granted, you know, they, um, it's weird because I'm going to seem like I'm kind of dismissing, you know, Denver there, but I just, just with all the weapons LA has and just them defensively, uh, I, I just don't see it. I, I can see them having an easier time to the NBA finals, to be honest, compared to Brooklyn um, and their yeah. continuity. Um, what I want to happen, <laughs> I want the Dallas Mavericks to go to the NBA finals. Oh, yes. I love it. <laughs> Rise either, of Luka. Yeah, either him. I mean, honestly, just looking at the brackets, you know, would it be cool to see Portland versus Dallas? Um, that would be kind of my fantasy, but that's not going to happen. So Awesome. And then on the East, any – 
any team you're particularly pulling for to get to the finals or no, not really. Um, I think we're because, on the West coast. So yeah, I <laughs> think a little more investment, maybe, in you know, the teams. Knicks. Yeah. I mean, you know, my heart, you know, the biased person in me with the bulls you mentioned earlier with Derek Rose and Tosh Gibson, I mean, and Thibodeau, um, it's weird. There's three bulls and now they're playing with the Knicks. It's, it's a weird situation to be in, but, um, I think that'd be interesting. Them, that's fair. <laughs> that'd be an interesting story to see. Um, I I'm curious about Philly in, in terms of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So, you know, Philly or Brooklyn, they're the probably most compelling stories. Um, and of course, again, if Giannis can't get past both of them, what is, what is Giannis? What do we make of him? I mean, does he not have enough firepower? Um, does he need to go somewhere else? Especially if there's a impact, if, if Milwaukee gets past, you know, Brooklyn somehow, um, and if they face Philly and lose, you I mean that's, that's still going to stick to Giannis, even though that'd be a huge upset against Brooklyn, I think. So, I don't know. I think those are kind of the stories to watch. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Awesome. Well, good to catch up with you about this playoff stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know we'll be back at it again this weekend. So you guys yeah. stay tuned, uh, pay attention to our, our YouTube feed, our Twitter feed, et cetera. Uh, Cause we're going to be putting out a little bit of extra content, this playoffs as just about everyone is. Yeah. So catch up with us. Um, thank you so much, Justin. Always a pleasure. Well, same to you, man. And again, uh, thanks for holding down the fort um, as I'm just getting settled into this, a new home here in uh, lovely uh, Denver, Colorado. Um, so for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum, and we'll see you next time. Peace.